Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Peter Herbeck is in the house. The whole program is a beautiful interview with him. He's been a longtime colleague of Ralph Martin from Renewal Ministries. And I know you're going to enjoy this interview. You're going to get a fascinating look at 30 years and at the power of the Holy Spirit moving in signs and wonders. We cover many topics today on the program. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. And then don't forget, tomorrow's a Friday edition and Carrie is back in the house. So my wife will be with me for a Faith and Family Friday edition of Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Well, I want to welcome to the program a dear brother in the Lord, Peter Herbeck. Peter has been connected with Renewal Ministries for, when you count it in decades, Peter, that's, it, it's it's going to be, it's going to be 50 years soon before you know it. Isn't this kind of crazy? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Ralph launched in 1980. Crisis of Truth, and um, I had been a follower of his from a distance, and I moved to Ann Arbor in 82, and we saw each other on occasion, uh, being in the same community, same parish and stuff, but he and I came together in 1990 in a formal way. The Lord just brought us together, and then we've been together ever since. Oh, so it's only been 33 years. Yeah, yeah. so it's really young. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we met shortly after that. I think we we first met at an evangelization meeting hosted by Evangelization 2000 in Washington, D.C. You and Ralph came. And, yeah. um, and so we met at that meeting. We prayed together. I don't know. The, I don't think you remember that. Uh, yeah, I remember the meeting. Now, was Tom, Father Tom Forrest leading it at that time? Yes. And were you working for him at the time? Or you were I connected? was. I, I was director yeah. of North America and the Caribbean. Yes, right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, isn't this so? I, I love to start off with this idea of, okay, we've been at this a long time, like being privileged to sort of be in the vineyard of the Lord, right, tending to the to the work that He's put into our hands, and so much has changed since 1990. Yeah, and I, I'd like to stop and say, okay, Lord, what was that all about? Like, what was that all about? What what have you been doing? And what am I supposed to be doing now? Because mm-hmm. boy, 1990 feels very different than 2023. Yeah. 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 No question. And I think uh, I, I feel like in some ways, at least here in renewal ministries, we're certainly not the only people thinking about it this way, but really feel like we've been in a story, an arc that the Lord uh, told us about, you know, in so many ways, the, the, uh, you know, the, the old, what is it, Amos said, you know, God gives his secrets to the prophets, you know, to help repair his people. And along with the the beautiful outpouring and the great grace of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that emerged in the Catholic Church, you know, in uh, late 60s, uh, revelation of Jesus, all the beautiful stuff that came with that, an awakening of faith, dynamism for mission evangelization, right from the very beginning, 
there were prophetic words saying, I'm, I'm telling you what's coming because I love you. I'm preparing you for something. And I kind of feel like we're living in the very thing the Lord prepared us for. So. Boy, that's so interesting because I, in my early years of doing evangelization work, I was first at uh, an amazing parish in Manchester, New Hampshire with Father Mark Montmany, St. Marie's doing incredible things. Yes, we had, yeah. You're familiar with St. Marie's and I just love Father Mark and then went from there to Catholic University and Father Tom Forrest. Just really blessed to have these anointed holy priests of God just ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Just sensing what God was doing. There was definitely a sense at that time about a new evangelization for a new springtime. And, you know, obviously this was connected to the great Jubilee year 2000 and then the things that have flowed since then. And it feels like there has not just been a flow, but an ebb. And, and you talk about it as prophetic words that kind of gave a bit of a prescient, like divine insight that there are going to be darker times, harder times. And that message, that really wasn't as clear to me. I, I was definitely sort of on that wave of saying, we're pushing for that new springtime. And, and I wonder, you know, has did it come did it not come did did we miss it is it still in the future what's happening there i mean there's a lot there's a that's yeah. a big ball of string yeah it is the uh you know like you we were huge fans of uh saint john paul ii very very grateful for him and that that whole vision i think is yet to unfold in my view but uh the thing that really was present kind of in our orbit here in ann arbor or in other places that we were always very conscious of was the 1975, uh, not that alone, but the key thing, 1975 meeting with Pope Paul VI in Rome in the, you know, the Catholic charismatic renewal was basically seven years old at that time, eight years old, something like that, eight years old. And it was the first time they ever had a, you know, an international leaders meeting in Rome. And the big question was, would the Pope come and uh, Cardinal Soons and others were working to try to get him to come and, and other people were advising him, look, it's a young movement. It's it's a little obscure, you know, don't do that. Don't risk it. So he comes and, uh, you know, he does what Peter does. He reads the signs of the times. He looks right at the 10,000 leaders from around the world that were there. And he said to them, you know, you're a chance for the church, you know, and later he talked about it being a grace of Pentecost. And so and it was a time of incredible celebration. So people there, I was in high school at the time, so I wasn't there. But the, um, you know, it's like an epic peak moment for them already at early, early time. But then the next big celebration. But the next day, there was a closing mass on the high altar in St. Peter's. Pope Paul VI gave Cardinal Sunan's permission to use the altar to, to wrap up the conference. And at the end of it. Uh, after communion, excuse me, Ralph got up and gave a prophecy that really was one of the clearest, most strong prophecies that have kind of existed in the history of the renewal. You know, because I love you, I'm going to tell you what's prepared for you, what's coming. You know, a time of great darkness is coming on a world, a time of great trials coming on the world. I'm going to take my church out in the desert. I'm going to strip her, you know, of meaning I was assuming like the idols and the attachments and the compromise and everything that they're and 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 he's going to make it smaller you know, in various ways. But then when she real when she has nothing, she, when she realizes that she has nothing, she's going to realize she has only me. And when she has only me, she's going to have everything. And in that, in that encounter with the Lord in the Lord's timing and grace, it's going to lead to greatest evangelization the world has ever seen. So I think to me, it's connected to the new springtime that John Paul was saying, you know, prophecy is imperfect. We see in a glass darkly, 
and all that kind of stuff. But there's other streams of Christianity that I have some respect for that have had a very similar kind of read. So it doesn't surprise me that there's a deep, deep purification that's happening in the church, uh, in all of us in various ways, and a deep testing. Also, I think I think a, a, a unmasking or the surfacing of, of spiritual strongholds in the church, which are really unhealthy, that have been holding her back from being able to, to walk in the fulfillment of what's there. So that's partly how I look at it. And I think, I think that's what we're seeing, but again, prophecy is imperfect. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, when you started to say that, I'm like, Oh, I remember that prophetic word from Ralph. Yeah. 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 That was, you're right. So it's funny how that, that was kind of obscured to me until you kind of yeah. brought it back to my mind. So when I think about the idea of the church being purified, yeah. it feels like, the church is being purified by the world, right? That maybe the devil's using the world or the Lord's using the, the allowing the devil some room here to just bring about just a calamity. I, I tend to use that word a bit these days regarding the, the church in America. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like there are many uh, sources of like powerful moves of God uh, across the, the 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 church in a widespread way. I, I one of the reasons I'm having you on is I want to hear you talk about what I think would have been called in the 80s and early 90s power evangelism. You know, evangelization marked by signs and wonders and and a move of God that involves uh, an expectant faith and a movement in that way. But uh, we'll get to that. But it does if you took a look at. The challenges that we were faced with in the early 90s were pastors that were not embracing evangelization as a as a theme or as a ministry because they were just overwhelmed with the amount of pastoral need they had because the churches were full. And yeah. here we have 30 yeah, years I, later, right? Yeah. 30 years later, we have how many dioceses going through restructuring and closing 20, 30, 40, 50% of their parishes because these churches are are empty. And the people that are going to mass are older than we are, and we're old. And, yeah. and so when you think about the purification and testing that's happening, um, how do you see that? How do you see that like playing out? Yeah, I could describe it in kind of a variety of ways. But um, I came across a talk by an Italian Catholic philosopher a while back in 2020, I think he gave it. And it was a he was giving a reflection on a homily made by uh, Saint Bernardine of Siena from you know 1440s. And there's somewhere he's a Franciscan, considered the greatest preacher of his time, and uh, helped really renew the Franciscans in a very significant way. It's kind of interesting. For 200 years after Francis, they needed renewal, you know, in a, in a significant way. There's, I think that's part of the human condition, even the life of the church. But he, he took a passage from Psalm 119, verse 26, I think it is. And it and there's basically the line says, you know, God, they're no longer listening to you. It's time to act, you know. And he talked about it as God's judgments in history. And um, and the it was so interesting to me when I dialed into what uh, St. Uh, Bernadine said. He said this, he said, Be, when... The human race, at various times in history, God has brought judgment on nations and peoples. Uh, he's allowed it to happen. And God's judgment, as Isaiah, as Isaiah says, when God's judgments are in the land, men learn righteousness. It's a good thing 
when the redemptive discipline of the Lord comes on his people or even on nations. And he does it because he wants to remove everything that hinders love. That's what it's all about. But people have stopped listening to him. We're doubling down and moving in the wrong direction. So here's what he said that I think really maps onto our time uh, very well. He said, "What God, prior to that moment, he called it the moment of the sickle, uh, he said there's a long period of God's mercy just being poured out. God just inviting, just inviting his people and, and great graces come to the world and people respond because God in his mercy wants them to come in that freedom. So that's step one. And I thought to myself, think about the last 70 years to 100 years in the world, just from a Catholic perspective. Fatima, you know, divine mercy, the outpouring of the Catholic charismatic renewal, Medjugorje, you, know, you name it, there's just been an extraordinary number, you know, the, the mercy Pope, you know, John Paul II, 35, 35, 40 years, whatever it was, you know, and, and the, the great Polish saints are elevated and there's just so much momentum and grace and welcoming that was happening. He said, but if people don't listen and respond to the mercy with repentance and change of life, God shifts at a certain point. And he said, what you can see then is essentially it's like Romans 1. God gives them over to what they insist on having in respect for their freedom. And then uh, Bernadine said, you begin to see it in these ways. Number one, God draws back angels that are over nations, protecting nations. And then number one, and then chaos and disorder begins to happen because the protection is gone. Because as Pope Benedict said at one point, he goes, you know, the big problem, faith is in danger today in the world because, you know, humanity is pushing God from the human horizon and darkness is setting. So, so he says he draws back the angels that are over nations. And then uh, he said, then what it begins to emerge are um, the, the removal of virtuous leadership. And, and think about the condition of the world vis-a-vis -vis leadership today. You know, think about the madness that's kind of chaotically unfolding in nations in the first world, just, unbelievable what's happening and everybody can feel it you see it on the news every day and it's happening with such escalation then he said what ends up happening is he removes the the lumen veritates the light of truth begins to go away you know um and then what was the what was the third one it was the third one was a really good one too uh oh i'm getting old i forgot <laughs> i'll think about it <laughs> that's so funny the uh i could look it up but but i won't but the the point is and then he he described um the the like seven behaviors in the culture that bear witness to the disposition of the people in resistance to god hmm. and it is like maps on perfectly with what we're doing so i personally think you know, the, the, the judgments of God are in the nations. He's permitting human beings to run after and have what they want and experience the consequences of it. And I think at the same time, there's a redemptive discipline on the church. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines those whom he loves, you know, uh, to bring about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And one of those ways is he's surfacing the deep wounds and the deep spiritual strongholds that are in the church itself and have been choking off a lot of spiritual life in the church for a long time. So beautiful answer, Peter. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, 
I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. That's Peter Herbeck again. He's um, with the Renewal Ministries uh, based out of Ann Arbor. You know him from the choices we face with Ralph Martin. Again, partnering with him and doing so much mission work around the world for the past 30 years. When I think about, Peter, the idea of like a, a punishment, a, a correction, a redemptive um, work of God that that is going to remove that hedge of protection, for me, one of the things that happened in the last four years since the summer of shame is that I call it my sort of circle of concern has become smaller and smaller. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I've wanted to say, like, how can I impact the whole world? How do I impact the church in America, the church in my own diocese, my own parish? And and it's come down to, I've got to get, make sure that my family is in the right place. My marriage is in the right place. And, and like that density of concern has to begin there, really stay rooted there. And, and a lot of folks that are you know watching or or listening to this interview with you, um, a lot of that is like, okay, God's doing something in the whole world. I'm just trying to get my own life and my own home and my own marriage in order. Now, you and and your wife uh, Deborah, you have that book, Lessons from the School of Love: Cultivating a Christ-Centered Marriage. How have you seen the broader sense of what God is doing, both from the standpoint of the outpouring of the Spirit? as well as in terms of the correction that God does, how do you see that lived out in the reality of your married life and family life? Yeah. You know, we, uh, we've got four children, 11 grandchildren. The four children are out of the house. Three of them are married. Um, three, three of them live in the area, one in St. Paul. And so uh, it's, it's kind of come about in a variety of ways. Now, when we were, it, something really shifted in us in a good way, uh, during COVID, when, when when the lockdowns happened, something got revealed in me, which was um, I had I had been you know I have sleep apnea, which a lot of people do, but I have a particular case of it that so my sleep was not great for a period of time, and travel made it difficult. But I I started getting into a place where I was um, if I get up at night. I was wakened up and I thought, boy, you better get back to sleep. You got a lot of work to do tomorrow. You know, got you got a lot to do. That's the worst thing you can think about at two o'clock in the morning is you start thinking about the fact that you better get to sleep, you know, because then you're up and you're up. And so I had lots of nights. And so um when I came in, when I came into COVID, uh I I felt like the Lord said to me pretty early on, like the first week or two, well, Peter, now you can just get up. When you get up, you can just talk to me because you got no place to go. You can't you got another place to go. You got nothing to do. And and um, your your whole schedule is just down. Planes are down, everything. And uh, and so what I started to do was it was amazing. It kind of changed my prayer life. I would get up and I'd come so, so as not to wake up Debbie. I'd come in and lay down on the couch in my living room. And I just put my hand on my heart, thinking of Jesus's passage, his words to the apostles in that Last Supper discourse where he's literally talking about the worst news they could possibly have, you know, that's coming. And he said, but don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And I felt like the Lord said, Peter, you got a troubled heart, son. 
I love you and I want to help you with that now. So just put your hand on your heart and talk to me. And I, and I just forgot about having to get up in the morning because I couldn't go anywhere anyway. And I just started talking to the Lord, you know, just very simple language and things. And I've done it almost every night since then. It's like, it's like, I feel like I'm a monk. It just happens. And I just go back to sleep and I don't worry about it. And, um, but what it did was, and then Debbie and I, we were, we had been praying, but praying together more during that time and really seeing also the prophetic experience of what we think we're seeing unfolding in the world and saying, you know, part of the response to that is, um, you know, you've, you've probably said it a million times yourself, Tom, you know, if my people call by my name, humble themselves, right, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land, you know. And so that became a kind of posture, you know, and that we really need to do, we want to talk to our kids about, we want to, uh, you know, give our hearts over to the Lord and keep declaring he's in control of everything that's happening, as scary and as frightening as it could be. And so that kind of brought a foundation. And then we ended up having a lot of time to talk to each other uh, that we didn't normally have, like all couples did during that time, probably, or most couples. And um, so we we then said, look, the most important thing for us is our relationship, our children, our family, our growing, our growing family. And we just pr started praying more deeply into it, communicating with our kids. Uh, you know, we said, we're going to have vacation together every summer, all of us together. We're going we're gonna to have times of focusing on the Lord in those situations. We're going to talk about it and really work at cultivating our family, you know, our family, Jesus at the center of our family. And it's been really a fantastic shift. So in a strange way, COVID provided an opportunity to, to make a big turn, you know, that we just are maintaining and it's it's a tremendous blessing. But that's just a little a peek at it. But yeah. Okay, I'm going to shift yep. the direction a little bit. So you've sure. uh, you've written so many books, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we just talked about that one about the school of love, about marriage, but welcoming spiritual gifts. When the spirit comes in power, I read that book and encouraged folks to read it about the Holy coming and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, unfailing promises, thinking straight, receiving fire. By the way, all these are on renewalministries.net. If you go check out renewalministries.net, you'll be able to learn so much more about Peter and access these resources. Okay, so as you think about Walking with the Lord now over these decades, walking with Renewal Ministries in Ralph Martin for 30 years, 33 years, um, is there a message or a book that you feel most deeply reflects that message that you were made for, right? Sometimes people, people call it a magnum opus. I would say the uh, Revelation chapter one. Uh, kind of summarize it for me. I, I feel the the thing I am most passionate about, it's most in me, it's most what I live from, is a revelation of the majesty and beauty of Jesus Christ, like communicating his majesty, his glory uh, to people, his beauty, um, the wonder of who Jesus is. It's like, because I see and I've always felt like, wow, there's this, there's this emptying, actually Pope Benedict described it years ago, there's an emptying of the figure of Jesus, one of the great tragedies of our time. And what is that? Knowing him, seeing him, uh, the fullness of he is and what it births in us if we're living in that conversation with him and our eyes are on him, uh, you know, and to helping people understand that, how to lay hold of that. I love doing that. I mean, just, I, re I remember when I was part of the reason I, I, when I was just got out here to Ann Arbor, I started working with University Christian Outreach on campus here. It's like focus became, you know, something like that. We were doing a student retreat. You know, it's ice flame. It's, it's John has this vision, right? He's on the island of Patmos 
and he has a um, he's worried about he's imprisoned because of his preaching of the gospel. He's on an island there, and then God, the Lord appears to him and has him write to the seven churches there. And the churches are dealing with all kinds of stuff. But what is God's solution for John, the shepherd whose heart's broken for the churches, you know, and he's trying to figure out how to pastor and shepherd them? What is the Lord's answer? First and foremost, it's a revelation of the beauty and majesty and authority of Jesus Christ, who he is. And then he saw him and fell to the ground as though dead. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And he touched him, you know, and then he said, now, John, where am I? You know, where the seven lamps of the churches, where's he right in the middle? And then he says, you know, in his hand are the seven are the seven leaders of the churches. So he's here. And I think it's critical. So I I put this talk together. And this is going to be really inspiring. And um, I was just feeling it in my heart so much. And it was going to be a 45 minute talk at least. So we get there and there's about 100 students there. And I'm like 15 minutes into it. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God came in the room and a holy fear of God came in the room. And students started repenting, falling on the ground, wailing. Two or three people got up one of the back of the room. They laid flat on the ground. These are University of Michigan students on the ground, wailing and, and crying. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I'm like, hey, don't go back now. I'm only 15 minutes into the talk. Like, you got to wait till the good part comes, you know. And and it was just it was just reading the word of God. And, and it was a grace moment where the Holy Spirit was helping them see it. So, um yeah, and I, I believe clearly the Lord said to me one time at a long story, but said, he said, Peter, you're going to see before you die a revelation of the Son of Man in your lifetime that's going to touch the hearts and minds of men with a holy love and fear of God. So, you know, again, prophecy is imperfect and all that, but that's that's deep, deep in my bones, deep in my bones. So. So, Peter, you just said there, it sparked a comment in my mind that came from my wife, Carrie. So uh, just yesterday we were talking and um, I have felt uh, a real call to speak a more bold, challenging, prophetic word um, from the platforms the Lord has given me, uh, rather than being mm -hmm. like relentlessly positive, but instead yeah. to be prophetically reverent, right? But not to yeah. be afraid to speak a truth that speaks up, push, you know, pushes back and, and all of that. And that's not my temperament. And Carrie was saying to me that she says, you know, as, as helpful as that is, she said, people aren't going to change until the power of God just falls on them. When she said, it's just going to take an anointed move of God to actually move this church forward. It's not going to be, you know, a matter of enough fervent prophetic preachers it has to be accompanied by just a move of God and the power of his spirit falling. And it, it sounds like that's reminiscent of, of your yeah. experience in that moment. But I want to shift to this now. I think it's also part of what you and Renewal Ministries have seen multiply around the world through mm -hmm. your evangelistic outreaches that have been marked by an openness to God moving in signs and wonders and deeds of power. Would you talk to that? Yeah, for sure. You know, we began, I mean, it's helpful to know kind of how we began. Um, in 1990, again, I said, you know, Ralph, I knew Ralph, Ralph knew me. We were in the same area. And he, well, we weren't working together at the time, you know, just in different areas of responsibility. So he calls me one day, uh, one Monday night, and he said, hey, I'm going to a conference in Detroit. 
and to hear a speaker, I'm looking for someone to come with me. Would you be willing to come? I'm thinking, yeah, why not? That'd be great. You know, get a little quality time with Rob Martin. Why not? And so um, he uh, comes, picks me up. We go to Detroit. It's a large conference, about 3,500 people. And we might have been the only Catholics in the room. Uh, no one knew us. We didn't know them. Uh, we're sitting way in the back, week-long conference, just came to hear one speaker and then leave. And uh, he was right before lunch. And so he gives his talk. And then uh, we're getting ready to leave, but the MC is making announcements for uh, before lunch. And he goes, our leadership and prophecy team up here before we leave feels called to pray with two men who are here today. And we're sitting in the back, not paying attention. And, and uh, they start pointing back to us, you know, and then somebody in front of me turns around and goes, I think it's you guys. And I went like this, you know, and and the person goes, uh, yeah, yeah, you, if, if, if you'd like, we'd be happy to pray with you. And so they excuse, I asked Ralph, what do you think? He goes, okay. So excused everybody. We come up, they pray over Ralph and, and people had words of knowledge and prophetic stuff that they just could not have known about him. I just knew they couldn't know. And I thought, wow. You know, then they prayed over me and they said, son, we're going to, uh, the Lord's saying he's going to start sowing you into lands all around the world. He's going to open doors that only, only go through the doors that he opens. And then somebody had a vision of battleships in a harbor. They're all loaded and ready to go. These are people God's going to bring to you that he's called and anointed to be sent around the world. And you're going to help launch them into these places around the world. You know, so I said, okay. And I just felt the anointing of the spirit. So we're driving back. And I said, well, what do you think about this? And he goes, well, you know, I certainly experienced the Lord. And and uh, I said, well, what, what do you think we should do? And he goes, well, scripture's clear. Don't despise prophecy, test everything, cling to what is good. I said, okay, well, what does that look like? He said, well, why don't we get together, you know, once a week, and we kind of arranged to get together early on a Wednesday morning, and, and got Sister Ann Shields to come and be with us as well. We would just pray for an hour. So we started doing that once a week, bam, bam, bam. And at the end of the each hour, I'd say, is anybody hearing anything? No, 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 you know. And so uh, finally, after like six, eight weeks, I don't even remember now the total number, uh, Sister Ann Shields goes, yeah. I think you're supposed to go to Lithuania and Ukraine. And I said, okay, um, do you know anybody there? She said, no. I said, Ralph, do you know anybody there? And he said, no. He said, no. I said, well, what do we do with this? He said, same thing. We'll just put it before the Lord. So two, three weeks of praying. Then Ralph comes like the three weeks later, comes to the meeting. And he says, hey, you'll never guess what happened last night. I got a call from a bishop in Lithuania. And the wall had just gone down like 10 months before, a year before, whatever that was. Total revolution happening over there. And turns out this was a priest, a Jesuit priest, who ran an underground Catholic newspaper, um, sent it out secretly to Rome to talk about the persecution and issues in Lithuania. He got turned in by a KGB priest collaborator, and he went to the gulag for nine years. And when the wall went down, he came out. And John Paul II, within months, made him the bishop of the cultural center in Lithuania, in a place called Kaunas. He's now a cardinal. And um, he's there, and he gathers his priests together for the first time in 51 years. And he said, we need to re-evangelize our people. And many of the priests said, your grace, we don't know how to do what you're asking us to do. He said, I need help beyond the... So many of those guys had suffered so much, those priests, we need help. He ended up meeting two young Lithuanians who had gone to Steubenville for a visit, got baptized, and the Holy Spirit had come back. He said, do you know anybody who can help us? He said, yeah, Ralph Martin and Father Michael Scanlon. And he gets their number, and they call us, and we're there. I'm there the next year organizing rallies 
that that touched the lives that we're still working with people there. Um, and we've done almost tw probably 1,200 international missions since that time in probably 73 different countries. And we've only gone through the doors that the Lord opens, you know, and and collaborating. And we do we average about 40, 35 to 40 international missions a year through Renewal Ministries, where we send out teams that cooperate with bishops, priests, lay people, religious sisters in countries all over the world that have a passion and smell the new evangelization, smell, you know, the Great Commission and want help. And so that's what got us going. And that's really what launched us. And, and, uh, and a key part of that is every place we went, we had just intersected briefly with John Wimber. And we, we uh, were in Poland with John Wimber, which is another amazing kind of story, but he was invited like 50 people. He had 50 invitations after the wall went down to come to Poland, but he didn't want to go without a Catholics and deeply respecting the Catholic church in Poland. And Peter, tell everybody who uh, John Wimber is. Oh yeah. Well, John Wimber was, was the uh, founder of the vineyard churches. And there were, I think there were over 500, you know, around the time he died, but he was a, a key leader that impacted really helped people get equipped to know how to pray for people for healing and just a practical model that helped people, you know, connect with, you know, listening and following the Holy spirit and expecting God to work in areas of signs and wonders. And so amazing times we had in Poland with him. It was so powerful um, I can tell you some mind-boggling stories that happened there. I just, wow, I just saw stuff and he, levels of healing I never, I'd never seen before. Um, it was beautiful to see, but I was stretched. I was really stretched personally. I didn't even know I had faith for that or, you know, how to step into it. And he was such a good teacher because he'd always say it's got nothing to do with hype. It's got everything to do with just dial down and trust the Lord. Dial down. And, you get a dial. I'm just a fat old man with a with his little beach shirt on there from California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me one story. I just want to hear one story. You pick any time you want, but I'd love to hear it. Just hey, one story. Okay, so here's one with here's one with him, and then what ended up happening with us. So we're we're this. We went there once with him with uh, 300 leaders. The bishops of Poland signed off on the meeting. 150 Protestants, 150 Catholics. So that went really well. We came back two years later. I think it was for a big meeting at the Hall of Congress that Stalin had built for for the Poles, which they didn't like. You know, it was this old you know communist place. So we go into this thing. Packed out, you know, it looked like a time warp, you know, religious sisters with like super old habits, like from 1900 in the U.S., you know, and totally packed. And we're walking there that day. And I asked John, I said, you know, what are you going to be speaking on? And he, he kind of gave me the theme and said, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing this. And then he goes, he gets up there. There's a worship time and he gets up with a microphone. And he goes, well, I, I, I thought I knew what I was going to be talking about today, but. I feel like the Lord doesn't want me to give the talk, but he wants to give you some signs to encourage you um, in the moment you're living through here, this dramatic moment. And so he said, uh, he said, I'd ask you, you know, to stand if you'd like, if you don't want to, you don't have to. And it was really quiet. He goes, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, we're just going to wait and see what the Holy Spirit does. And so I thought, well, this would be interesting, you know, and so I'm behind, standing behind him. And he just says, you know, come Holy Spirit. And he waits and it's dead quiet. You can, you know, hear a pin drop. And he said, send the kingdom, Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, you know, something like that. And then all of a sudden up on the up on the top level, uh, this man just starts weeping, weeping. And then over there, weeping, weeping, weeping. And then, I mean, like wailing. I saw a nun in front of me, like bent over, just wailing and and. After about five minutes, three, three to five minutes, I mean, it was 
the whole place almost was like that. And it was, I'm sitting, it's just like, wow. And, and, and people are just wailing and John, right. He didn't hype it up. He didn't try to get it going. He just said, brothers and sisters, that's the heart of Jesus Christ for the lost. You know, he's going to send you to seek and save the lost. Then that calms down and he goes, um, come Holy Spirit. He said, I believe the Lord wants to give us another sign. Didn't say what it was. He just said, come Holy Spirit. And we waited. And then, um, I don't know, after a few minutes, John said, um, now some of you take a look at your hands. I, I think the Lord is giving you a sign that oil is secreting out of your hands. If that's true, raise your hand. And out of 3,500 people, about 300 people raised their hands. And John said, wherever you are, brothers and sisters, go to the person and, and feel it, you know, what's there. And so I saw a nun down in the first row. I jumped off the stage and I felt it and it had an aroma to it, like a flower, you know? And, and people are like, whoa, what is it? John said, brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to anoint you. He's giving you a simple sign to pray for the sick. Pray for the sick. Go to hospitals. Go everywhere and pray for them. You know, I mean, I was just completely blown away. And then one of his team members got up and said, you know, the, they started ministering and praying with people with a prophetic word. There's a there's a priest here who's incognito, who God is anointing right now. And, and, and this tremendous healing gift is coming on you. And nobody responded. And then he came back and said, I know this is happening. Nobody responded. And John said, well, you know, sometimes you shoot blanks on these things. You know, you don't you don't have it. So five years later, I'm in Poland again at a conference with a priest who I'd never met, a Paulist priest who's like ministering, amazing healing gifts and stuff's happening. And I'm kind of watching. And afterwards, uh, and I was helping him with it a little bit, you know, uh, just joining him, that is. And then afterwards, I said, well, Father, tell me your story. He goes, well, you know, five years ago. I was at this John Wimber thing in, you know, in the conference hall and I came without my clerics on because I didn't want anybody to notice me. And, and he said, when he, when he called the Holy spirit came down, he ended up falling over and he was on the ground. He couldn't move. And the spirit of God was just move pouring in him. And he said, a guy from the stage said twice, there's a priest here incognito who God is anointing for healing and the Lord wants you to come forward. And he said, I literally could not get off the ground. And it was the very guy. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I asked so for then, a story. That is incredible. Yeah. Wow. So then we leave that session. And here's here's what Wimber did to help me. John Wimber, he goes, he goes, you know, Ralph and John were the main speakers there. I was learning how to pray with people and all this. And so he said, we before we leave, uh, we're done here with the conference. We have to go to this large church. It's full of people. Bishops, priests are there um, that we're going to do some ministry. So John and Ralph, get, Ralph gets up first because he's Catholic, you know, and he shares a few things with everybody, what was on his heart. And then John Wimber gets up there and he talks about healing and prayer. And then he goes, he goes, okay, um, I'm going to make this brief. And he talked for like 15 minutes and he goes, and now, now uh, one of our team members, Mike and my nice, my good friend, Peter Herbeck are going to lead, are going to lead prayer ministry. And I'd never done it before. And he comes and he sits down next to me and he goes, and he had such a sense of humor. He goes, you better not blow it like that. And it was like, it was so crazy when I look back. But I got up and this wonderful guy is a guy I worked with on the week who was showing me things. He put us together. 
And it was a moment of tremendous fear. Like I was so scared standing up there, like I don't even know what to do, kind of, you know, I froze. And, uh, and then the Lord just gave some words of knowledge and they were, he told me to just calm down. The guy whispered, so just relax, just relax and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What do you see, Holy Spirit? You know, he'll show me what you're seeing. And I saw a couple of people, I saw a woman um, just just sitting, sitting there in the crowd. And I felt like, you know, she's got a very serious difficulty at home. Her husband's leaving her, her heart is broken, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know if I should say something like this in public, you know, and uh, I don't even know if it's true. And, uh, but I feel it. I sense something. And then I asked the guy, Mike, who'd been doing this stuff for years. I said, I have a sense this woman very broken. The Lord wants to bring healing because there's real serious stuff in her marriage. He said, say something just like that about the marriage without getting into detail and see what happens. You know, so I just said, ma'am, you know, I just want to share this and that you've got a deep, deep weight on your heart today and that there's real struggle in your marriage. And she just, she just started bawling and the spirit of God came on her, you know, and then my faith got lifted. You know, it's like, wow, there's something here, you know, so that was my first baby step into the whole thing. And it was a, a funny kind of scary moment looking back on it now, but. That began. And so when we started going to Lithuania and other places a year and a half or two later, we said, look, we're going we're gonna to bring what the Lord has given us, not only the prophetic message, not only the charisma, not only baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to bring, we're going to pray with people. We're going to pray deliverance with people. We're going to do all those things. And so that's what we've been doing since then. That's Peter Herbeck again. He's um, with the Renewal Ministries uh, based out of Ann Arbor. You know him from the choices we face with Ralph Martin. Again, partnering with him and doing so much mission work around the world for the past 30 years. Okay, okay you're ahead of me now. Okay, so none of my kids are married. Uh, yeah. Only one of them has a serious boyfriend. Yeah. And we, we want to get this right. So I'm going to I'm going to access some wisdom here. Okay, so three okay. of your four are married. I've got probably four in range where they would be saying I'm open to uh, married uh, life as my vocation. Um, what did you do? Because you're talking about you've got your kiddos with their spouses and their grandchildren, you know, your grandchildren willing yeah. to come together to be together. That 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 says something right there that, that's saying that you've got supportive uh, daughters and sons-in-laws who yeah. are bought into this. So yeah. how did that happen? What do you do? I want to get this right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, a foundation was laid for all four of them. I mean, they they all went through different periods of their life, but they all have emerged with a, a foundation of faith. And so it's not as if they haven't wrestled with it and things like that, but that's basically where they landed at a good time. Now, um, we always had in our home, you know, various, lots of different young missionary people living with us throughout our life that helped us have impact on our kids. And so it helped have a, a family culture in which just the, the, the awareness of living with Jesus and him being in our life and us being in a kind of conversation with him in the patterns of our life was sort of there. So that was a, a foundation piece. Then uh, Christ the King Parish, where we live in, or where we go to in, in Ann Arbor, we have uh, there's a there's a lot of families who are really going after a lot of imperfect, broken people like us, but really going after the Lord. So it gave my kids uh, some peer group stuff that they said, hey, my family's not totally crazy because there's some other crazy families who are doing the same stuff, you know, that have this. So it was in the blood. We always had a missionary piece to our life, too, that our kids plugged into camps, 
you know, mission trips to Mexico as they got older, even when they weren't maybe 100% all in on the faith, trying to figure it out, we, they would still go and we put them in these kinds of environments. We we knew kind of all along, we have to keep finding places and ways in which we can help evangelize our children to different conversion moments kind of throughout their life and then just support them in it. So so that, that helped a lot. And then uh, they, like one of my boys, uh, dated, you know, started dating a girl he uh, he met at college. Nice girl. We didn't know much about her. And um, one of the first things Debbie did was invite her to come and be a counselor at the camp that Debbie does in the summer with all these other fantastic women who are on the team. And all of a sudden, this gal was a good girl. She gets immersed in a whole network of relationships, and she her heart gets awakened more to faith, and to and she starts seeing people that that are living in a way that um, she really found attractive and wanted to go deeper in, in her own life. And Debbie did that with another one of our, our now our daughter-in-laws, you know, and investing in that. And um, so, I mean, those kinds of things were just present. And then we said, wow, when they, we got to get to, we got to draw these, this looks serious. So let's draw them close. Um, and let's get to know them. Let's bring them into environments of faith. You know, one of my son-in-laws uh, or my only, yeah, my son-in-law, he uh, came from a good, solid Catholic family, but very, very different than anything in our background, you know, our kind of life. And he was sort of nominal, you know, sort of nominal and uh, smart, solid guy. But um, he was, uh, what should I say? He's very quiet, cards close to the vest, not very expressive. And so early on in the relationship, when I realized that my daughter really liked this guy, you know, um, I thought, you know, I got to have some conversations with him. You know, we got to talk and uh, I got to know who you are, you know. And um, and so he she had been dating him. I was on the road and had been dating him over a couple of months time and a few nights brought her back, brought her back really late at night. And, you know, after they were done working and late at night and I'm like, OK, well, gee, this guy, my daughter's out late with this guy. I've never met him. He's not made it. He's not really made the effort to try to meet me, you know. So I need to reach out to him uh, to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a dad, you know? And uh, so we had the most awkward first conversation you can imagine, you know? And we turned out he's now married to my wife and we, he's on fire. The guy's on fire for the Lord and he's an accountant, works for Deloitte. You know, he's got a nice career path and all that, but he just, he just wants to talk about the Lord and what the Lord's doing. But the first few conversations with me, especially the first one was extremely awkward because they were down the road a piece. And I, I said, I don't even know you. And what do you think about things? And I asked him questions about what do you think about things like premarital sex? What do you think about this? And he's like shocked because he never had a conversation with an adult man about that stuff, you know? Uh, and uh, though it was awkward, he's really an honest guy. And it was good. It was difficult. But it kind of helped. Uh, didn't make my daughter real happy at first, but it, uh, <laughs> it helped. Um, kind of communicate my concern for her. Cause I told him, I said, you know, I promised my daughter when she was 12 and she said, you know, dad, can I date? I said, well, no, not yet, honey, you're 12 years old. And uh, I said, but here's what I'm going to do. I, I prom I'm going to do everything I can so that uh, when the day comes where I walk you down the aisle and I look, I'm looking at the guy who's waiting for you. I can look at him honestly and say, I did everything I could do to prepare her for this moment you know, and to give her to you, to entrust her to you, this precious gift in my life, in our life, you know.
And uh, I told her that at 12, we were at a, a family out to dinner. And then that's what I felt like I had to do. And, um, but anyway, and Debbie, having a wife like Debbie is super helpful. She just, she's better at these things than I am, you know, different ways. And I'm a little bit, yeah, she's more sensitive, I think, in a good way. But anyway, it's worked, it's worked out well. So we just wanted to make sure that they understood who we were, what our family culture was like, what we had hoped for for our kids. And uh, and our kids were on board enough, I think, that they wanted to embrace what we could offer as an extended family that keeps growing together. So a few things Again. that jump out at me in this in this conversation and what you're sharing with me. The first is that uh, uh, your it sounded like you you had created the like the culture in the home, like the atmosphere in the home that all by itself, the way you and Debbie live your married life, it washes over them, right? Mm -hmm. It gives them that vision for the kind of husband or wife that they'll look for, right? And that's one of the things that my older kids have started to share back with us. Yeah. Is that when they start thinking about, like my four oldest are girls. So when they, they said unwittingly, when they started to think about who's a guy that they would consider husband quality, they start thinking about the things they admire the most in me. Yeah, somebody That's, like my dad. Oh, like my dad, right? You know, they say that you you marry your dad, you marry your mother, right? And and <laughs> yeah. like and, and you know, and that's just sort of like that's in the air, right? That's in the air. But yeah. the second thing that was interesting was that it sounded as if for um, one or two or maybe all three of your married kids, it wasn't like <clears throat> the person who would pass muster in their minds as even a potential person to date had to be an on-fire Catholic just to get in the door. But that yeah. it yeah. was, we're not, you know what, we're going to trust that if this person is going to stick around, they at least have that openness yeah. to come into faith, explore the faith, and, and maybe be transformed by by the Lord through faith. Yeah. And, and, and that, that actually was striking to me. I, I was actually thinking more, okay, covenant community, charismatic renewal, probably sent them to colleges where they're going to be surrounded by a bunch of kids like them. And of course, that's where they're going to date to mate, and they're going to have some kind of, you know, uh, a dating process that is um, more formalized, and then they're going to end up being married. And it didn't sound like that. That was the oh, it's very different path. path that, that... Very different path for different ones of them, you know. So I had one of my boys, uh, for example, when he went to West Point, and when he was at West Point, he, you know, it's a different world. It's a fantastic place, but it's a different world. And um, and he was in a good place, solid young guy. Um, but we he just we didn't talk much faith at that point. You know, it was just not easy to have a conversation with him in those in those kind of early years. Not like he was strongly resisting, but it was clear that. And so I remember I was in the uh, so all along we were trying to pray and say, okay, what do we do? The kids are at this stage. This one's at this stage. Like, what are they open to? What are they not open to? You know. And and I was in the adoration chapel of Christ the King, and I felt like um, the Lord said, give him some of Father John uh, Ricardo, who's a friend. I was in men's group with him for years. You know, give him some of Father John's CDs. He's got to drive 10 hours to back to West Point. And uh, he's walking out the door one day, going back, gave him a hug. And I said, hey, just thought you might be interested in these. You know, I mean, whatever you want to do, but I'm not trying to push them on your son, but I love it. I Just see what you think. He didn't really say anything, and he took them and drove off, and I never heard anything. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the next, so like a semester, then the summer, he's back visiting and um, never said a word about it. 
and then uh, he's leaving again. And he goes, Hey, you got any more of those CDs, dad? And, and I said, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I do have some more CDs, you know, but can I, did you listen to him? He goes, yeah, I did. He said, I said, what'd you think? He goes, yeah, they were good. Then he just took the other ones and got in the car. And then he's just, he's just slowly started to grow. And then he had some buddies at uh, West Point, some of them who were more serious Catholics. And, but, but it was, there was a period of time there where we wanted to be closer to him. It was not so easy to do once you're there and then you're off and, in Iraq and other places, you just don't see him and you're not sure what's going on and, 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 uh, entrusting him to the Lord and all that. And now he's back in town and married a wonderful gal. He was his high school sweetheart, but even there, like we were wrestling, they, you know, we said no dating, you know, in the early years of high school and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was like somehow they found each other, you know, a little bit in the midst of it all. So, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Sorry. No, it's a, it's just a fascinating thing. That's like, um, uh, I think it's sometimes easy for Kerry and me to focus on on um, like a pathway forward for like, okay, the role that we have to help our kids um, be like discerning and, and walking a path towards married life, if that's their call. And, you know, how can we guide them along those right paths? And so it, it's, it's really fascinating just hearing your reflections on it. So Peter, uh, as we're wrapping up our, our time together, I want to, have you now like taken a stance today? And as you're looking at the environment, the horizon that's around us, we've talked about the time of, of calamity that is going to purify, maybe moving from mercy to um, allowing the punishment to hit. The, the accompaniment of God's prophetic um, ministry of evangelizing that the Lord has had you be involved in for 30 years. Is there anything in particular that you sense or uh, you sense at Renewal Ministries that God is doing or asking from the church today? Just sort of a final insight or sense you have that is distinctive about right now. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, number one for the whole church to bow down, to bow down, you know, to put our face on the carpet in humility before God and, and just to say, allow the Holy Spirit to give you a, a grace of a sense of the holy fear of God, which is a totally beautiful thing. And it's critical for courage. It's critical, you know, for keeping your heart clear and your mind clear and to begin to intercede not only for your family, but intercede daily in deep humility for uh, the church, for the spread of the gospel and fulfillment of the Lord's prophetic word for our time. I think that's really, really critically important. Posture matters, you know. I gave a talk not too long ago. Actually, it was during COVID, actually, so it's a while ago already. But four postures. Bow down. Start there. That means, Lord, is there anything in my life that's inconsistent with your will? And be ready to put every single thing on the table. And don't be afraid to do that. You know, Lord, I want to be yours. I want to belong to you. I want to be at your service now. You know, and then second posture, stand up, like Paul says in Ephesians 6, you know, stand, stand, stand. You know, this is the only battle, the only war in history where you win by just not quitting. Stand. He won the war. Stand in the truth. Be a faithful witness now. Then come together in community, your own family, extended family, community, other families. And then finally reach out to the lost and the broken and get ready. Get ready to reach the lost. The beginning of the renewal, when I've talked to Ralph many times about those very early days, he said, Pete, 
It had nothing to do with our planning. People came from everywhere, walked off the street. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit with nobody touching them. It was a move of God that we were trying to keep up with and know how to. And I, I know it's coming again. I know it is. But a deep purification is coming right now, you know, in the midst of it. And that's so important. It's part of God's love, you know, so. Beautiful. Pete, I love, Peter Herbeck, I love what you've shared today. And you've been very generous giving time to me and to the folks that will be watching and listening to this. I really do appreciate it. Folks, get connected with Renewal Ministries, with the ministry of Peter Herbeck. Join up with one of those missionary trips. Go to renewalministries.net, renewalministries.net. Pick up one of his many books to be a blessing to him. Peter, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, it's been great, Tom. I just want to honor you too for your amazing faithfulness over the years. And I know Father Tom Forrest is not only praying for you, but he's smiling in heaven. He's very proud of you, I'm sure. So God bless you. Well, that's very meaningful. Thank you. You bet.